and welcome to National Treasure Hunt, the podcast where the secret lies not only with Charlotte, but also with your co-hosts. I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And today's episode is really on Emily's side of the house, and I'm really excited for her to take the lead so I can sit back, relax, as Emily takes us through the musical soundtrack of National Treasure 2 Book of Secrets. Um, there is going to be nothing relaxing about this episode. Um, it is going to be a rip-roaring good time full of accelerandos and retardandos, crescendos, decrescendos, modulations, all of these musical terms that Aubrey and maybe most of you don't know, but it's going to be there. Yes, and also, before you exit out of your podcasting app after that, um, just know that I will be the ears of the audience. I know nothing about music, so as soon as I don't understand something Emily is saying, I'll be sure to call her out. On behalf of all of you, you're welcome. Looking forward to it. (laughs) All right, but before we get into all of that rip-roaring good time, as Emily likes to call it, We must begin with our customary screams from Parkington Lane. Now, I'm assuming that you all have listened to us at least once before. And I'm assuming you know what our screams from Parkington Lane are. But I'm still going to describe them to you. So our screams from Parkington Lane are our weekly acknowledgement about how National Treasure has taken over every aspect of our daily lives. And we're assuming that since you're down in the Parkington Lane pit with us that National Treasure has somewhat taken over your life as well. Uh, So hopefully you can revel in these screams with us. So Emily, I hear you had more than one scream to choose from today. I do. I have a bit of a bank, uh, as you do. I'm so proud Uh, of you. It's a modest bank. I am removing half of my assets for today's scream. (laughs) But, you know, whatever. So yes, I was a month or so ago on vacation in Ocean City, Maryland with my boyfriend and his family. And I am new to Ocean City, Maryland. So everything that I was seeing was like for the first time. There are a lot of buffets there, but they're not called buffets. They're all referred to as like smorgasbords, which the concept of a buffet itself kind of grosses me out. But like calling it a smorgasbord is like, mm. anyway, one of them was named the Paul Revere Smorgasbord. Ooh. No idea why. We're not near Boston. If anything, we'd be closer if we were in Ocean City, New Jersey, the correct Ocean City to go to. Um, true. And yeah, but anyway, I saw that and immediately was like, this is going to be one of my screams because even though he's not directly mentioned in the films, he still is basically like a main character. Yeah, more or less. I mean, but the real question is, did you go inside? No, we went to two other buffet slash smorgasbords, um, neither of which, unfortunately, were the Paul Revere one. I don't even know if it's open still, actually. It might be closed. I just saw the sign. Well, your scream has been heard, Emily. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, What is your scream, milady? Well, my scream... Um, is a little loosely related to yours because it is based in Boston. Um, Last weekend, I took one of my periodic trips to the Boston-Cambridge area to visit my boyfriend. Um, And, okay, y'all, I have a confession. 
I'm not a huge fan of Boston. So whenever I go there, I'm just trying to think of new weird ways to connect to National Treasure and to National Treasure Hunt. And this time, I decided that I was going to take a bunch of our National Treasure Hunt stickers and just, like, leave them around places for people to, like, take. And this, as if you couldn't tell by the change in, like, the tone of my voice, this got me really excited and really invested in my day walking around Boston and Cambridge. So, like, I left them in the gift shop at the, like, I guess it's the Bunker Hill Monument. And they have like a little museum. So like the gift shop of the museum. I left them around Harvard's campus. Um, I left some in like the historic Boston area. And I posted about it on our Instagram. And I hope some people found them. Um, but it made me really happy. And I'm totally going to do that in D.C. now. What dedication from Aubrey. That's amazing, amazing stuff there. Um, and if you found one of those stickers or are out looking for one, please let us know. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at NT Hunt Podcast. We are also available for your listening ears on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. You can also go ahead and check us out on our website, which Aubrey so kindly created it is nthuntpodcast.com we're trying to keep the name consistent for everyone so go ahead you can check us out over there we have links to all the stuff that we've done in the past the stuff that we're gonna do our merch store literally anything you can think of it is there yes it is and with that i believe it is officially time to launch into what we are all here for today our assessment of music in National Treasure 2 Book of Secrets. And as a quick reminder, if you like this episode, you should go check out our previous episode on the music in the first National Treasure film. That would be episode 26. So I am officially handing the microphone off to Emily. Tell us, what are we getting out of today's episode? I mean, fun, really. Wow. Uh, what more do you need? Um, in reality, everyone, here's uh, here's the lowdown. So for those of you who have listened to our previous music episode, which was Music in National Treasure 1, you may remember that I gave some time points for some various music that was featured in the film. I'm not going to be going through and giving time points this time because it felt a little clunky, but there is one particular musical moment that you should all just get excited for now that I am going to share a time point for because it just is beautiful. That being said, if anyone does have any questions about where any of these musical themes can be found in the movie, particularly on the Disney Plus streaming platform, please message us and I can get back to you with an example of a timestamp for when the music is mentioned. Awesome. And let me guess right off the bat, that one timestamp, does it have to do with a Riley moment? It does. Wow, Did you, you read are... the outline? No, you are just predictable. Uh, that's fair. <laughs> 
Okay, so the outline of this episode. Really, what we're going to be doing, we're going to be talking about the three main themes that are featured in National Treasure 2. We have what I'm referring to as the action theme. The second theme is what I'm referring to as the playful theme. Technical term, I'm sure. Oh, yes. And the third is the main theme slash treasure theme. They're kind of one in the same. And then we're going to wrap up our discussion with just some interesting tidbits of different things that I noticed and a little bit of a discussion about what we think the presence of music in certain places means for the characters and the storytelling as a whole. So, Aubrey, to get us started. Yes. I did this last time and I'm going to do it again. Action theme. Yeah. Remind me where in the first movie we may have seen our action theme and what you what you remember about it. Was it when we had like the declaration heist and like the planning for it? That was one of the places, yes. So, and it's because the reason I remember that, it's because it's what our intro music is based on, right? For the podcast? Yes. It's what our intro music is based on. It's stuck in my head a lot. Do you remember anything about the specific qualities of that musical theme? Even if you're just thinking about what we have at the beginning of the podcast. Yeah, I feel like it's it's kind of anticipatory. It's um, kind of bold you get the sense that something important for the movie is like happening or about to happen um and yeah I don't know that's how I would describe it as a non-musical person (laughs) no that's that's great and I love that you said as a non-musical person because what I am doing in this episode specifically is we're going to talk about the way that the music is used in various scenes but we're not going to go too in depth into what exactly the structure of the music is because I think that for listeners and you Aubrey who are (laughs) a little less musically experienced that might come across as somewhat boring um so maybe someday I'll make like a not a blog post about it but like a page on our website about it or something like that but for now we're gonna we're gonna keep it on kind of base base level base level terms but I love the way that you said it's anticipatory And it tells you that something important is going to happen because that honestly is exactly what it is. In this action theme, we have heavy string instruments. So we're talking like violin, viola, cello, upright bass that are really driving this theme forward. So it's kind of an underlying, almost like a train engine. If you think of that, like chugga, 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 that it's kind of the idea of what we have going on now. Interestingly, with the action theme, there were, I was pretty positive when I was watching through the movie, specifically for listening to the music, which, let me tell you, was an experience in and of itself. I remember texting you, Aubrey, and I was just so excited to be doing it. It was honestly a joy. So highly recommend for those of you who are interested in music to go through and honestly just watch National Treasure 2 for the music because it's great. Um, I am was pretty sure that there were three versions of this action theme when you say versions do you mean like it's the same 
I don't know if we're thinking if we're thinking of like a bass level. I know bass has a different meaning in music, but like like B-A-S-E. A, yeah, a B-A-S-E level. And then there's like different things layered on top of it, or are they completely different from each other? Um uh, both. And I'll, I'll explain why. So we have one that is basically the action theme from the first National Treasure movie. Okay, so it's it sounds exactly the same. It sounds like what we have is the intro to our podcast. Okay. We have another version that is the extended action theme, as I dub it. And what that is, is it's the action theme from the first National Treasure movie with some additional, like you were saying, components added on top of it. But it's the same kind of baseline thing that we have going on. And then we have a National Treasure two action theme this is the distinct one this is a distinct one in and of itself now spoiler alert what i thought was the national treasure two action theme actually ended up just being the extended action theme so there's actually just two action themes yeah okay got it so the national treasure two action theme is an amended version of the national treasure one action theme yes okay cool Understood. Well, quick question for you. Um, Is it common when you have multiple installments of a film franchise? Well, first and foremost, I'm assuming this is also composed by Trevor Rabin, the same person who did the first one, right? It is. And what an oversight on my part, not to mention Trevor Rabin's uh, amazing work here. And so is it common for different installments of a film franchise to all have the same composer? Um, it honestly varies. Um, okay. it, it depends on how strongly the people involved in making the film feel about having that musical continuity. So a really good example is, uh, think of Lord of the Rings. All of the Lord of the Rings movies, not including like The Hobbit, all that stuff. The Lord of the Rings movies all have the same composer, Howard Shore. And what we got from that were some distinct themes in each film, but we also got some continuation of themes throughout. Then you have some examples of things like Harry Potter. So Harry Potter, John Williams did the music for the first three of the Harry Potter movies and came up with the main theme that we think of when we think of Harry Potter. But then for the fourth movie, Patrick Doyle came in. And then in the fifth through eighth movies, it was another person. So that pers- those people were still allowed to use the main Harry Potter theme. But it sounds markedly different. Okay. So movie. Whether, what I'm getting from this is whether it's the same composer or not, it's also normal for the sound to change up a little bit. It's not like you just expect to have, for example, the same action theme across all of the movies in a franchise. Yeah. And, you know, I think you're, you're, yes, you're correct. I think part of what makes it uh, interesting in the case of National Treasure is really that there weren't a ton of character themes that were specifically present. So in a movie like Lord of the Rings, you have themes that are for specific characters um and you have a lot of them so the use of those themes from movie to movie doesn't feel as like as much of a big deal 
because you're getting so many other new things coming in Mm -hmm. because you have so many different characters. I see. With National Treasure, though, as we talked about previously, there really only are like three or four themes in the first movie. So to be pulling completely one of those themes back into the second movie feels like a really big deal. Okay, so this is helpful, I think, in a movie context in general. So we have two action themes or two versions of an action theme we're working with here. If if I had guessed and was correct that in the first movie, the action theme shows up in one instance with the declaration heist, to be frank and honest, I like to think I know that theme fairly well since it is our intro. I have no recollection of it showing up in the second movie. So that being said, I'm really excited to hear where it shows up. But if I had to guess, and I would kind of hope, does it show up in the president's heist? It does. Okay. And the theme that we get there is this extended action theme. So that's the kind of combination of the National Treasure 1 action theme with some new melodic material. But before we get there, I want to mention that there are actually only two times where the original National Treasure action theme was presented in the second movie on its own. And that was, oddly enough, towards the beginning of the film, when we transition to Riley and Ben going to see the Statue of Liberty. Really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's interesting. There's, like, no heist involved. It's a very simple, like, I, I know Riley has to pull out his helicopter and stuff, but it's not... As soon as we get to, as soon as we flash to the Statue of Liberty, the action theme starts playing. Oh, oh, like when we see it, we we pan out, we see Paris, we get the whole, like, there's a statue, there's the Eiffel Tower, because we have to see the Eiffel Tower because we're in Paris. Yeah. I actually think I, I'm sort of remembering that now. Mm-hmm. Really short, right? Very, very short. Yeah. And then the only other time that this theme was presented, at least from my viewing, completely on its own, was a little bit during the car chase scene. Really? Okay, I don't remember that. It makes sense, because that is, like, the action sequence. It does. Um, I wasn't paying that much attention because it's a car chase scene. But what's really interesting is that after this scene, which, if you remember, happens, I don't want to say early in the film... But it happens probably about a third to halfway through the film. Mm -hmm. This theme is completely dropped. You never hear it again unless it has this additional melodic context to it. And I think that this honestly tells us something about the way that the writers and possibly the uh, composer wanted us to feel about the movie itself so i think there's there's definitely something to be said for keeping the theme the same right from the first movie to the second movie it feels very much like you're at home and you recognize what's going on but the fact that by the time we get you know like i said a third to halfway through we're kind of extending this theme more it's suggesting that okay, we've given you this context for what's going on. You feel like you're at home with these friends again. And now we're going to go off and we're going to do something a little different. I 
think that's exactly right. And I actually think we could expand on that perhaps a little bit more too. I would argue that, so recall that the car chase scene is basically the last thing that happens while they're overseas in London. Mm -hmm. Um, They've just secured the Olmec plank from Buckingham Palace and they are being chased by Mitch and and the bad guys. And I think two things are notable here. Number one, we need to, the, the next major thing that's going to happen in the movie is them illegally entering the White House in some respects, <laughs> like under false pretenses. And that's right. like an elevated level yeah. of um, of bad thing that they're doing, if you will. But on top of that, perhaps even more so, recall when Ben first actually looks at this Olmec plank, he says something like, new rules because he remarks that this is thousands of years old and they're used to dealing with like hundreds of years like revolutionary war era so new rules is kind of also introducing like a new a a new um setting a new context for national treasure and so now we're introducing almost like a new musical score Mm -hmm. yeah i that's great yeah, I love it. Thank you for joining me on that little <laughs> ex- expedition. Of well, me. of course, I'm happy to be able to supply something productive. But now I'm really curious, what happens after the car chase to the action theme? So what's actually really interesting is that I feel like what Trevor Rabin was doing in this movie was trying to ease us in to this new action theme. Because although the car chase is the last time that we see the original action theme presented by itself, we actually get the extended version of the action theme a couple times before the car chase scene happens. So I think there's kind of this like meshing of these two things before we're transitioned into the completely new thing. And like I said, this theme is honestly, it's an extension of the first one. So it sounds relatively similar. It's not brand new. But there's some different melodic stuff happening. It's definitely mildly less energetic than the action theme from the first National Treasure movie. And it just... Yeah, I think extended is honestly the best word that I can use for it. So some places where we see this is in preparation for the kind of showdown at Buckingham Palace... You mean the sh- the the argument between Ben and Abigail, or yeah, like well, first when Ben is going into Buckingham Palace, and Riley's in his ear. Oh, so the equivalent of the gala scene in yes. National Treasure Two. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then also we do get it. Um, I believe during the scene in which Abigail and Ben are arguing. But something that I want to note here, which I think is really interesting, is that it was really difficult for me to tell if this music was actually being used here because the sound mixing was done in such a way that the sound of their voices was very loud. Like, overwhelmingly loud to the point where, like, there was music there, but you couldn't really hear it. Why would they do that? Well, I think (laughs) that's a great question. Um, I think the idea 
is to emphasize the argument itself that was happening because not only were we you know witnessing one of one of the more extensive early interactions between Ben and Abigail in this movie mm-hmm. but we're also getting a couple different plot details right we're we're learning a little bit about like what actually happened between Ben and Abigail a, a little subtly but we were getting that information which we didn't have context for before and we're also you know doing this not semi heist mm-hmm. right that's going on and if you'll remember from the heist scenes in the first film there wasn't a ton of talking Right, no, that's A lot true. of it was shooting or running. There were some sound effects in there, but there wasn't a ton of talking. True. So I think the fact that there was talking happening here is really why they decided to emphasize that. Okay. What's really interesting, though, is when the guard goes back to that little, like, prison cell mm-hmm. that Ben and Abigail are in and find that they're not there, he sets off alarms, which you would think based on the way that the sound mixing has been done, would mean that we wouldn't really be able to hear the music that well. However, the alarms are actually played at a pretty low volume. So you can hear the music. And this, I think, kind of lends itself to that idea of the fact that there was dialogue and the plot was kind of moving forward. Mm -hmm. And when you have the alarms going off, everybody knows what alarms sound like, right? So we don't need to really make them the forefront of what's happening what we really need is kind of that that drive that momentum that you were talking about at the beginning of the episode and i think that's what the action theme provides here that's really interesting um i will be honest i've never thought so so uh deeply about the practical elements of having a soundtrack behind um a film that has components that range from sound effects to dialogue um, and really needing to balance that yet still keep the music in place. Although I do remember from last movie, there were times that the music didn't really show up at all. And sometimes it's like, okay, if an alarm is going off, why not just like not have music right now? Or if there's a big argument that's important, why not, why not just like not have music right now? Um, But I guess we'll save that because I'm expecting that there are times where music doesn't show up here. There are, and we're going to get to that towards the end of the episode. Got it. Um, But with that in mind, moving right along, I want to move on to this playful theme. So this is the second overall theme, like we're moving away from the action theme here. Correct. Okay. So this theme is legit the same theme from the first National Treasure film. I have a question. Yes. I do not remember talking about a playful theme for the first movie and I feel like that's something I would have remembered you're right Aubrey we I don't actually think we really covered this theme that much in the first movie it was definitely there but we didn't cover it that much that makes me feel like it probably wasn't super prominent or not as important in that movie and maybe because you're talking about it here it's actually quite significant for National Treasure 2 yeah, I mean, it was it was fairly prominent in the first film, but it came in kind of like random little bursts. So there wasn't really a good scene that was long enough to talk about mm. what it did for, you know, what was happening on screen. Can you make the sound? Do, 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 do
Oh, wait. <laughs> I actually recognize that now. Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. Um, and so it's really interesting to me that the primary connecting musical theme between National Treasure and National Treasure 2, even though we didn't talk about it in National Treasure, is this playful type theme. And I really see this hearkening back to what we talked about in terms of Trevor Rabin wanting to give the audience something familiar mm -hmm. when the movie kind of begins. Because the first time that we see Riley which is with his book right at that bookstore where he's trying to sell them. R.I.P. Borders. R.I.P. Borders. It was, you, were, you were good. Um, it's this music that's playing. And remember, this is the music that played when Riley drove away in his car at the yeah. end of the first movie. So that leads you to think that like maybe it's Riley specific. Spoiler alert, it's not. But it's really interesting that it's used, right, to introduce Riley again to the movie. Another point when it's used is when Ben and Riley are in what was previously Ben and Abigail's house, right? And they're looking at Abigail's ID and they flash to her picture on the ID badge. The theme comes back in at that point, too. Interesting. Almost to be like, oh, hey, here are your people from the first movie ben gates obviously is a little more important than that so he didn't get that. he got a more significant introduction mm -hmm. than just like that that little music but with these two characters they got this we see it again when patrick and emily are fighting when they see each other again do you remember where that is oh yeah so like um after they um get the first plank and they have to go to the university of maryland campus to have emily well dr emily appleton dr Hel helen mirren yes. uh, translate the plank um and that's like the first time patrick and emily see each other in like a decade or something right yes. that one yeah that okay. one so in a way it's kind of like we're seeing emily for the first time right and i guess that that takes away a little bit of the idea that it's being used to like introduce the characters that we already know but it's still kind of i think signifying like oh this is a character that's going to be important for the well, story also if it's when emily and patrick are fighting there's also sort of a playful tension there that's going to be something that's recurring throughout the movie and ideally well it's a disney movie so will be resolved by the end of the movie spoiler alert it is <laughs> um yeah and you're right and i i like the idea that you say it's not only does it have tension in it but it, it's kind of playful in and of itself because the another scene where you actually see this theme being used is when they're all on top of the rocks um oh at, mount at, rushmore right at the lake when they're when they're basically pouring the water on the rocks yeah yeah and they're literally like, oh, we need to pour water on the rocks to find this eagle and they're all going around doing it it's just a very comedic scene this music is playing there and mm. i think at this point it's definitely to convey this kind of comedic aspect of this scene that's been going on especially because you know right before this we had some not so veiled threats mm -hmm. <laughs> towards dr helen mirren <laughs> Right, right. Yeah. I mean, Mitch literally threatened to kill Patrick and then kidnapped Helen Mirren. 
Right. So I think we need this kind of fun little little reminder mm-hmm. in here, like, oh, hey, we can be goofy, too. So this is when when Riley um, also does his, like, caca, caca. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. To kind of go along with this, I know you mentioned uh, when we we're talking about Emily and Patrick that ideally this tension that you see between them, you know, should be resolved by the end because it's a Disney movie. Mm-hmm. So when we're talking about like kind of like good things happening, like the wrap up of a Disney film, mm-hmm. right? At the end, if you remember, Ben's talking to the president in that like really big airplane hangar. Because why wouldn't you meet the president in an airplane hangar? Yes, yes, of course. So this is, you know, Ben and the president are discussing page 47. And um, Riley chimes in. He's like behind them a little bit. And he's like, are you guys talking about the book? And the president turns around and just gives them like a sly look and says, what book? That one. That one. Mm, That makes sense. As soon as the what book hits is where the playful theme comes in. And then it sticks around for a while because we go from that scene directly back into Cibola where we see Emily and a whole crew of what I'm assuming are archaeologists and stuff mm-hmm. like excavating these things and cataloging the different treasures yes right? we see Patrick there too yes it's the whole resolution all the resolution for the movie where Emily and Patrick are happy ever happily ever after and Emily's super excited because of this huge discovery and then also we have Ben and Abigail reconciling. She tells him that he can move back in. And then I bet you, you know, when Abigail and Ben are getting their resolution and Abigail's like about to tell him that she can, he can move back in with her. And then at the very, very end, also we have Riley meeting his, his dream girl and he drops, does the comedic like drop the grocery bag thing. Does it appear all those places too? Most. Most of those places. So it appears when Riley meets that girl that you're talking about, right? So Riley gets his resolution in addition to the fact that it's kind of a comedic moment because he's dropping the bag. So it it kind of plays into both things there. What shocked me to my core is that this theme was not used when Ben and Abigail are talking right before the fireworks go off at the end of the film. What was playing? Just random something else? <laughs> Nothing, really. Really? It, honestly, there might have been something, but it wasn't this theme. Huh. But I will say, as soon as they kiss, the theme comes in. So it was probably like, I don't know, could that be used to kind of build suspense for like, will they, won't they? I think so. I think honestly, that's like the only explanation that I can think of because. I mean, everybody kind of knows by the time we get to that point in the film, like, they're gonna be together, it's fine. But I guess they, you know, the people who made the movie have the opportunity to drag it out for just, like, one more second, right? Right, (laughs) To give you that, like... Uh, So, yeah. But that's the the playful theme. Okay, Um, so it sounds like it had a a huge role in this movie. I don't remember it it in the first movie. Well, I do remember it now that you actually made the sound. This is the sound for the record that me, non-musical person, I think of this as like a very, um, I think of it as kind of like, not chimes, but like very- piano. It's very light. Yep. Light is exactly how I would describe it. Yeah, okay. Yes. Cool. Very light and happy. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Makes yeah. you do a little dance in your seat. Sure. Makes me do a little dance in my seat. And on that note, another theme that had me dancing in my seat was the treasure theme slash main theme. Okay, so I have to ask right off the bat. We saw for the action theme that we had a combination of the OG action theme from the first movie and a variation of that. Am I to assume that this theme does the same thing? A little bit of national treasure, a little bit of a new vibe? So that's a fair assumption, honestly. (laughs) Unfortunately, that's not, or fortunately, I don't know. It depends on how you look at it. That's not the case here. Hmm. There are a couple times, and I'll mention them, where we do just straight up hear the national treasure main theme from the first movie, but they are very few and far between. For the most part, even when we start out the movie, we're starting with a new theme. And I think the only reason that I was able to identify this as like, the treasure theme, the main theme, was because I've seen the movie before. Mm. So I kind of remembered what it sounded like from the end of the film. But if you were seeing it for the first time, you might just be like, oh, this is some nice music. And might not know that it's actually what is going to culminate in the treasure theme of National Treasure 2. Interesting. Okay. But so we see at the beginning of the film, literally as soon as we start in that flashback, where we're seeing these fireworks go off. Right, marking the end of the Civil War. Exactly. So we see it there. We go through the, you know, cracking the code, the assassination of Lincoln. We're not having this kind of heroic theme playing for, I hope, obvious reasons. Thank goodness. Um, As Thomas's dad dies, okay, we're still in this flashback. He's been shot by this member of the Knights of the Golden Circle. Um, And we're, we're watching little Charles with his dad as he's dying we actually get a little sad piano version of this national treasure 2 theme okay i have a question now because if i'm remembering correctly when we were talking about the main theme and the treasure theme for the first movie we didn't get it this early in the first movie did we not that i not that i remember no so what could be the reason for that that seems like a pretty big shift Yeah, so I think, and this is honestly me speculating. Sure. But I think what this could be is, you know, we didn't hear that that treasure theme until the end of the first film, right? And that was when we found the treasure. But we, it's fair to say that audience members watching the first film were unsure whether or not Ben and his crew would actually discover right this treasure that he was looking for Mm -hmm. i think by having it this early in the film we're kind of acknowledging the fact that not only have we already found one treasure but there's gonna be another treasure hunt and because we're working with these people they're probably gonna find it Mm. like there's a little less doubt in your mind as to whether or not this is actually going to come to fruition this time got it it's less of um will they get there it's like how they'll get there yes i think so um and then what what is uh interesting is that as we go to patrick's house for the first time so back in present day in the film Mm -hmm. we actually hear this theme again on the clarinet or the oboe which are two um woodwind instruments and this is after you know mitch has broken the news to them 
about um their family's supposed involvement in the Lincoln assassination. So this is basically after Mitch comes forward with the Booth diary page, says that um, Thomas Gates was the artifex, the, you know, the, the leader of the whole plan. And, oh, this is actually when I think Patrick is like glued to the TV watching the announcement from the, I guess, the Library of Congress curator, like, telling the news to the world about Thomas Gates' uh, real, quote-unquote, real uh, involvement. Exactly. Yeah, no, great memory. That's exactly where we're hearing it. So I think that that's pretty interesting, hmm. too, right? Because we're getting this theme, but it's, it's played on these lighter instruments. It's not, you know, super heavy-handed or anything like that. Okay. What I will say is a little heavy-handed is when Ben is in France now, explaining to the French police something about the Resolute Desks and is solving this clue, right? He's asking them to, like, translate this stuff in French for him and all that kind of stuff. We actually hear the original Treasure theme from National Treasure. What? That seems bizarre. It does, right? I will say that it does not have any brass instruments in it, which, if you remember from... Our first music analysis was something that was super important when it came to the full culmination of this treasure theme was the presence of these brass instruments. I do remember that. Um, But the reason I find this so funny, like brass instruments or not, we always joke about the whole, especially the France bit being so insignificant because they're there for so little time. Like it's the easiest scene to forget. Yeah. Yeah. That being (laughs) said, It's the first clue that they solve. Oh, that is true. So maybe this is in a way being used to kind of once again transition us into this idea of like, hey, we're solving these treasure hunt clues. Like we're back. We're back to business. Mm -hmm. And if you remember, this one is one of the ones that we feel is so insignificant because it's solved like really quickly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. There's not much thought about it. Mm hmm. And so I think that in that way, too, they're kind of like, yeah, the stuff from the first movie is like old hat. We have this in the bag now. We are just going. Gotcha. Okay. Um, what I will say, and it's going to be a continuing theme, is that as we see the Olmec plank for the first time in this film, we get hints of this National Treasure 2 treasure theme. However... It's played primarily by a wooden flute, and there are some brass instruments that come in underneath. Now, the wooden flute is going to come up again a few times, and I'm going to wait to talk about the significance of that until we get there, but just something to keep in mind as we're going through. Um, so something else that I wanted to note was that things got a little interesting when they were looking at the president's book of secrets. Oh, so like in the Library of Congress. Yeah. So here we actually get what, to me, a relatively inexperienced listener, hears as a combination of the treasure theme from National Treasure and the treasure theme from Book of Secrets. Is that how music works? Can you just do that? If they like go together well enough. Okay. I just kind of assumed it'd be really discordant. 
No, no, no. I mean, like, they did, like, it was written in a way that sounded good. They didn't just literally <laughs> take the themes and overlay them on top of Oh, okay. Another. Got it. <laughs> Thanks for the clarification. Any, any time, truly. Um, what I think is really interesting, though, is kind of speaking to what you were just saying about uh, things sounding a little discordant. Um, as they flip through the pages of the book, we do get some discordant chords that are happening it's not because the themes are being overlaid on top of one another (laughs) but it's a purposeful thing that's happening honestly it seems a little menacing and this is a bit confusing to me because it's like such a cool moment and like so it it helps Riley justify what he's been doing Ben is you know Ben saying we don't have time for this and like going kind of quickly but Maybe it's supposed to suggest that, like, there's more to this than we're necessarily being led to believe right now. I don't know. What do you think? I could see that for sure. I could also see it sort of being done to match their tone, specifically the tone of Ben and Abigail in this scene. So Ben is mostly talking when he's reading the pages of the book, and then him and Abigail are trying to like interpret them aloud for the audience. So I'm I'm thinking of, for instance, um, when they reveal that like Queen Victoria was on the side of the South, and there was like a moment of like, not concern, but like it was like a weird aha moment. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be like a big conspiracy theory revelation. Um, I'm also remembering when um, when they read the line about commissioning Borglum and Abigail looks at he's like, she's like, Borglum? Mount Rushmore? And it's just like another, like, it's another conspiracy theory reveal there. And then finally, Ben, when he reads that the, I, I'm doing these out of order, but they're just coming to me. Um, when he reads that the plank from the White House desk was photographed and then destroyed, and the way he says destroyed, he's like, it's like everything's a cover up here. I think that those are three huge examples. It kind of goes along with what you were saying about how there's more conspiracy theories in the book, but these three things are illuminating these really in a way public cover-ups and i could see that being contrived as like menacing that's fantastic aubrey i that literally i was just so confused and i just like left it at that that's great i really (laughs) like that and you know i want to add on to that because i totally agree you know you said you said them out of order yeah we all know that the borglum part was the last right one that they read and something that we actually get here, we still have these discordant chords happening, but we do get a slightly more heroic brass sound as they look at that entry specifically. Mm. We don't get a fully developed National Treasure 2 like treasure theme, but we're definitely going there and you can sense that we're going there and i think that the inclusion of this at the borglum entry is kind of to transition us from these huge cover-ups that we can't do anything about into signifying like oh no hey there's something here that we can act on Mm -hmm. and this is where our treasure is going to be this is the clue that we needed Mm -hmm. okay yeah and they do the very next thing they go to mount rushmore they do. And that's honestly where we continue to hear 
this theme. Um, when they they have you know that kind of fake out scene in Cibola, kind of like they do under Parkington Lane, where they find a room, it's it, they light the room, and then there's not really anything there. Mm-hmm. Um, in National Treasure Two, what obviously needs to happen is the water needs to be cleared mm-hmm. from this room. Um, the theme is there as they get into this room, which is similar, if you remember, to the fact that the treasure theme from the first film was there when they got to the treasure antechamber Mm -hmm. right before the main Templar treasure. And this is kind of to signify to the audience, like, oh, hey, we're here. But in the same way as it was in the first film, we're missing brass here. Got it. And if you remember anything, if we've learned anything from this whole musical exercise, it's that when the brass come in, that's when the main thing is happening. Yes, because brass signifies triumphant. Yeah. I'm not a brass player, so I... I yes. know, but you taught me something, Emily. I did, and you did You did so great. So <laughs> some of some brass signifies triumphant. High brass signifies triumphant. I will note that there are some deep brass sounds happening and some, like, discordant chords as the water's being cleared. We have some pulsing strings kind of harkening back a little bit to that action theme that we talked about as they're turning that big wheel to get rid of the water. And we have some brass with big chords, but what's really important here is that the brass aren't playing the theme. They're not Um, playing the treasure theme. They're just playing, like, chords that are underneath of everything. So as I would call them, sounds. Sounds, yes. However, we do get, finally, the emergence of the entire full National Treasure 2 treasure theme as the water goes away. And they can finally see all of the treasure that is in Cibola. We get brass instruments. We get the strings being even louder than they were originally. Still underneath, we have the wooden flute, which has come back again here, carrying part of that theme, which is interesting because flutes, for those of you who don't know, are considered woodwind instruments, which is not a brass instrument. So to have this kind of instrument be carrying the main theme along with the brass during this big reveal of the treasure and the treasure theme is a really interesting choice. And my hypothesis is that if you'll remember, we heard it when they first found the Olmec plank in the beginning. So this is all related to these ancient civilizations, right? Now, wooden flutes are, for better or worse, often connoted with Native American-type music. So a lot of times when people or when composers are trying to symbolize or signify that there is some kind of Native American theme happening or there are Native American characters present, they will throw in the sounds of a wooden flute to kind of give that vibe. And I think that that's honestly what Trevor Rabin was doing here by throwing this wooden flute in. And what's super cool, like I said, because the wooden flute is also carrying the melody, it's taking what could just be an inclusion of the wooden flute for the sake of having it included. It's elevating that and in a sense also elevating the Native American 
aspect of this treasure that we're finding. I love this. I think you're spot on. Um, and I, I, I appreciate why you said for better or for worse. Um, but for like the average movie viewer, I think this probably because we're ingrained to attach like this wooden flute sound to native American or indigenous cultures. Um, I think for people who aren't watching a movie and like actively listening to the music, I think this probably does a lot in their brains mm-hmm. without them realizing it. You know what I mean? What will be really interesting. And especially if Trevor Rabin is the composer for national treasure edge of history. So the TV series, I'm pretty sure we have confirmed um, through all the various reporting that this TV series is really going to focus on indigenous cultures of Mesoamerica. And so I wonder if we're going to end up getting the same sorts of mixing in the soundtrack for the series with like the wooden flute or other, I don't know what other sounds, if there are others that are, you know, connoted with um, indigenous cultures, but I think that's something we should be on the lookout for. Definitely. And I'm super excited to listen to that and hopefully have another episode talking about that for sure um so one last point on this treasure theme before we start to wrap things up i just want to mention and this is honestly i'm really looking forward to aubrey's reaction here Mm -hmm. there are hints of this treasure theme as mitch makes his sacrifice okay like when we're in the when we're trying to escape Cibola and someone has to stay behind and Mitch decides to let them go yep okay so I was expecting a stronger reaction from Aubrey not gonna lie um what is good news is that we only get hints of this theme we don't get a ton which is good because I was honestly worried for a moment when I started to hear it that as Mitch was like holding on to the wheel we were gonna get this big re replay of this theme like he's making this heroic sacrifice and we don't it's just a couple hints so what this suggests to me is that they don't want the audience to think of mitch as the hero yeah. in this situation and I was wondering because one of the conversations we have a lot is about Mitch and the credit he gets for this and whether or not that's right or wrong I was wondering how you know the inclusion of the treasure theme at all really at this point makes you feel okay so not gonna lie right off the bat if I had to like predict uh one of the themes to show up in this part I would have maybe guessed a variation of the action theme because there's a lot going on and like it's a lot of chaos and stuff like that but the fact that it's the treasure theme and not the full treasure theme as you said honestly doesn't fully surprise me because the treasure theme has been used a ton throughout the movie in different variations like way more than I expected way more than I remember the first film's treasure theme being used in like leading up like I know it was used to lead up but like not I don't know this feels like it's almost like everywhere (laughs) in the movie and so because of that it doesn't bother me and because it's not in the full-fledged version it doesn't bother me because like you said I don't think it makes I don't think it adds any heroism to any additional heroism, I guess, to his action. That's that's definitely true. 
Um, I, I like that. I like that perspective. And that's interesting that you thought the action theme would be presented here. I honestly didn't think about what theme I would have expected there. I should have asked myself that question. Um, but I, I think it's cool that you thought the action theme that makes complete sense. But, you know, the fact that they did include the the treasure theme, you know, suggests we're supposed to view this action, you know, a little highly, but mm. not not on par with like finding the treasure. So with all that being said, we've talked about the main themes of the film. And what I like to do when we wrap up these music episodes is to talk about just some notable moments, no pun intended, but <laughs> I was so dumb. <laughs> there are a couple things that I just wanted to mention. I feel like I would be remiss if I did not. Now, Aubrey. Yeah. If you remember in Buckingham Palace, when they're, um, when Ben and Abigail are on the floor under the resolute desk in the Queen's study, and they're moving these drawers in this puzzle box of a desk, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's no music in that scene. We found one. <laughs> we did. Aubrey, why do you think this is? Why do I think this is? Um,. Okay, if I had to guess off the top of my head, I'm thinking when we are doing the drawers, we're in the perspective of the person moving the drawers. So like Ben in this case, we're like looking up. It's like the camera is his face in a mm -hmm. way, right? So I don't know, maybe it's kind of to put the viewer in the mindset or the position of the protagonist in a way to like see things from that person's perspective. And I mean, in real life, if you were Ben in that scenario, there's no music playing. Um, so like to add some realism maybe to this scenario. I don't Ooh. know. What, what do you think? I like that a lot. I, I didn't think about that, but I think it's definitely very true. You know, we are seeing it from Ben's perspective. So maybe it's to add that yeah. kind of feel. I mean, we, we don't get that. What's interesting, and I'm not a filmmaker by any means, but I feel like we've watched these movies enough times that I can say there are not a lot of instances where we get that perspective. There are. No, you're right. And so I think that definitely has something to do with it, for sure. Um, and I will admit that the fact that there was no music here really kind of confused me up first because mm -hmm. this is like a pretty important part of the totally. film where they find the Olmec plank and it's also you know this scene is kind of slow going so it's a long time to go without any music right yeah you're right so in addition to now what I am putting in my head canon as the fact that they wanted to give us Ben's perspective of this scene I also think that they probably didn't include music because they wanted to emphasize all the clicks that the drawers were making as they were coming out and then clicking into place. Oh, so it's almost like how, you know, they put the music down low when people are talking so you can hear them. In this case, you know, the clicks are even quieter than people talking, so. <laughs> yeah, and they probably, honestly, they probably could have, like, really upped that sound in the mixing and put music underneath of it. But I think it adds to the suspense of the scene and all of that kind of stuff. So I think that that's really cool. Another thing that I wanted to mention, and we're going to kind of wrap up with this concept and a question I'm going to lead you to from here. Okay. As Riley is talking about the book that he has written, 
right? So this is after the crew gets out of the White House. Okay, yeah. So they're, they're by his van, and they're they're he he says, you know, I can I can't tell you I can show you in my book and then he like opens up the book and they're talking about what his book actually is yes okay got it so as Riley does this there is some very reverential music I hesitate to say it's slightly patriotic which makes a little bit of sense because we're talking about like the president and America and stuff like that it definitely has that vibe to it regardless what's interesting here is the French horn is carrying the theme and the french horn is a brass instrument but it's often also able to be played with woodwind instruments because it has a really nice uh way of kind of matching their sound so it kind of doubles right as both of these types of instruments so the fact that there's a french horn here with the brass suggests that we have some kind of heroic thing going on but it's also played very softly and then I started to have feelings, feelings like goosebumps, as the music really came to a head with this French horn, as Riley says, what is my favorite line from either film? Oh, okay. Is this the one uh, where it goes like, where Riley says, if it was you trying to convince me, we'd have less proof and I'd already believe you by now? Yep. That's your favorite line? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yep. Um... And so this moment, I told you I'd give you one time stamp in the film on Disney Plus. This moment occurs at 57 minutes and 28 seconds if you want to go and listen. It is honestly a beautiful theme and it is so heroic sounding. And I really wish that they had expanded more on this theme. It's honestly, it's so beautiful. It's not the treasure theme. It, it's, it's distinctly different from that but they give riley his own kind of theme in this moment now we move on and ben has a pretty important line this is around when they're going to be kidnapping the president and ben says to riley and company aubrey do you want to read it yeah sure so he says before the civil war the united states were all separate people used to say united states are wasn't until the war ended people started saying the united states is under lincoln we became one nation beautiful beautifully done thank you aubrey my pleasure so in that moment right this is one of the more profound lines that ben has i'd say it's up there with when he's you know trying to explain to the president the importance of finding the treasure in cibola mm-hmm. and you would think, right, this happens temporally after Riley has this moment with the book. The music that is played here is honestly a little less profound and a little less heroic sounding than the music that we get in Riley's big scene. It, it also sounds different than that music. It's not the same melody. But there's definitely, there's definitely some French horn in there, but it's not carrying the melody. And it just overall... It doesn't fall flat, but the music itself doesn't do much to emphasize what Ben is saying, which I think we can both agree is something very important in the context of not only the movie, but just the way that we view our country. Mm -hmm. So this kind of led me to this kind of big question that I had that I wanted to get your thoughts on. What do we think 
the difference in the music between these big Ben and Riley moments means. What what do we think, you know, either Trevor Rabin or the, the people who made this movie are trying to convey to us with these differences in the music? So for me, I'm actually more puzzled by the Riley one than I am by the Ben one. Um, because to me, it makes a lot of sense that the music wouldn't be doing a lot actually during Ben's moment, because I think they would want that sort of line to kind of speak for itself mm. and to sort of stand on its own. And that might be by the nature or the virtue of the line, but also by virtue of how someone like Nicolas Cage is going to deliver that line. Very true. You know what I mean? Uh, so that doesn't shock me. What does surprise me more is um, what you've described for the moment with Riley, not because it's not an important moment. I actually think it's a, it's a cool moment as well, that the line that you referenced. Um, but the fact that you said it feels almost patriotic is a little interesting to me because it is in the context of Riley's book, which is all about conspiracy theories. So I don't know if that's kind of funny or if it's, or if the patriotic theme is meant to get you not thinking about the conspiracy theory of it all and to think more about the significance of what this means for America of it all. Hmm. That's that's a really good point. And that's actually something that I didn't think of, kind of the the contrast of the fact that it's a book about conspiracy theories and we're hearing what seems to be somewhat patriotic music. Yeah. I think it has to be the second of the two things that you just said. I think it has to be we're trying to draw your attention almost a little bit away from the conspiracy theory part yeah. of what's going on. Like it's it's a big moment for Riley and we've we've acknowledged before that you know Riley is a conspiracy theorist. He does do a lot of this stuff. He's not He's not the Ben or Abigail of the group, right? He, he doesn't really get to have his moment. And this is his moment. Mm -hmm. And I think that what they're trying to demonstrate with this music by not only kind of removing the view that we have on the conspiracy theory part of it, but also just by having it in a Riley moment is to suggest that the work, air quotes maybe, that Riley put into writing this book is meaningful. Mm for possibly the country as a whole because as ben you know later says to the president the discovery of this treasure is honestly important to the country as a whole because it's unearthing this whole other aspect of things that we didn't see before right the lost culture right and so i think that that i think that's probably almost certainly what's happening with the riley thing as to why ben's music isn't as you know, significant as Riley's in that moment. I think definitely what you said about the way that Nick Cage delivers those lines and the way that they're written, it makes a lot of sense, right? Like he mm -hmm. doesn't need the support of a score behind him. Right. I mean, actually thinking back when he delivers the, I'm going to steal the declaration of independence, or I'm going to kidnap the president of the United States. I could be wrong here, but I don't, I never, I could not tell you what music was playing in those moments because I'm not listening to it. I also you know? don't believe there is music playing in those Exactly. Moments. It's like an emphasis moment, right? And um, I know there, you said there is music playing in this moment. It's just not that significant or, or whatnot. But I think that's that could definitely be part of it. 
Yeah. And, and what I will say is I'm not sure exactly how the process of creating the music for this, these movies went, but typically what happens is there's a cut of the there's a cut of the movie made and then the composer gets to go through and watch the cut of the movie and kind of add their different musical elements to the different scenes. So it's very possible that when Trevor Rabin, if this is the way that it went down, that when Trevor Rabin saw this scene, he kind of thought like, you know what? I think he did a good job of that. Like, I don't want to detract from that at all. I don't feel like we need to imply that there's anything more going on because what he said is Mm -hmm. purely what's going on. It's really interesting to me that music's presence can emphasize a moment, but its absence can equally emphasize a moment. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So before we close this out, Emily, I'm going to hit you with a surprise question, which is which soundtrack, which score did you like better? National Treasure or Book of Secrets? Well, I think I'm fairly fortunate in the fact that Book of Secrets uses a lot of the themes from the first movie. Fair. So I don't, I'm not really giving up much. But I will say that mainly for the inclusion of the wooden flute and this really cool theme around the Riley moment, I would say National Treasure 2 is definitely my preferred soundtrack. Interesting. Okay. I totally like that rationale and that reasoning. Um, and I can see why that might be the case for someone who like fundamentally understands music like you do. Um, for me, just as a viewer and as someone who's seen both of these mo- movies like an innumerable amount of times, I can remember portions of the first movie's soundtrack. I could not tell you any of the music. Like I could not, I could not try to replicate it for you um, at, at any point in the movie, quite literally. And so I don't know what that says or what that means about the the musical score itself. But so as the novice, I have to pick the first film. That's that's fair. And, you know, like I would just like to say that the music for both films is great. So I don't think you can really go wrong picking either of them. So kudos to your choice, Aubrey. And thank you so much for doing this. Uh, You know how much I appreciate being able to geek out about things especially music related things so thank you for humoring me and you know enjoying this this time with me well hopefully you have at least two more to come one for the series and one for the movie the third movie so yeah we all have our fingers crossed but it's absolutely been my pleasure to learn a thing or two from you I think the last time I took away the brass instrument factoid and this time I've taken away the wood flute inclusion so I've learned something and I think everyone listening has learned something so if you have learned something from us today please tell us about it yes you can find us on twitter and instagram at nt hunt podcast we're also available for your listening ears on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you get your pods absolutely and definitely hit that subscribe button because we are quickly reaching the end of season five. It is crazy. We only have a few more episodes left, which is insane. Um, But our next one is going to be really fun. We're going back to National Treasure Hunt's roots. We're doing a classic deep dive episode. And the topic of the day is U.S. currency. 
I am so excited about this. We, we've talked a lot about how U.S. currency is a recurring symbol in national treasure. We've also unveiled some pretty interesting stories about national treasure connections with U.S. currency that we're going to be doing a whole lot more of. And I don't know, I, I smell a conspiracy theory or two that we're going to be starting based on next week's episode. You will have to tune in and find out for yourself. <laughs> Absolutely. So, hey, until then, I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And thank you so much for joining us on our national treasure hunt.